The views and opinions expressed by hosts, invited speakers, and callers do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Black Talk Media Project or the Black Talk Radio Network. Let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times at this time. Rise up, rise up, when death and hell dwell among all God's people. When those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil. When the feast that feeds you starves our father's children. When snuff porn and pedo forms begin to... Peace and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio. A program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate on the issue of 21st century slavery. Hosted by social activist and spoken word poet Max Parthas, with new abolitionist and actionist Johanan Elia and Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reed. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking, along with projects and people who help combat it. Today is October 14th, 2015. Tonight, we focus on the global resurgence of legalized slavery. It didn't just grow to mammoth proportions in the U.S. between 1970 and 2012. The U.S. was a test model, which is now being seen all over the world as a tool to boost the national economy by warehousing human beings for profit and exploiting their free labor. Let's take a look at a few articles. With Jamaica calling for reparations from slavery, David Cameron visited the nation and instead offered them a partnership on for-profit prisons. Amid the conversations on the histories of slavery and colonialism and their efforts, efforts in defining the present, his script had already been written. Reparations are not the right approach. We should focus on the future. And to the United Kingdom, the future includes for-profit prisons. Two years ago, Officials in Sao Paulo, Brazil, began a roadshow to recruit recruit investors for three prison contracts worth 750 million reals, or $375 million. With the world's fourth largest population of people behind bars, 550,000 as of June 2012, Brazil's prison system suffers from overcapacity of 178% and is known for overcrowding and violence. In 2013, the state of Minas Gerais inaugurated its first prison complex to be operated through an investment. In the Sao Paulo uh, project, companies bid to build and and operate three male prison facilities holding a total of 10,500 inmates. There is something unethical and having about having corporations seeking profits from locking people up. That's to quote a group of former high-ranking Canadian justice officials to the Kingston Whig Standard newspaper in March of 2012. This in regards to U.S. private prison firms who targeted Canada for fresh opportunities. Two of the biggest operators in an industry once regarded as recession-proof, Geo Group and Management and Training Corporations, MTC, had been lobbying various government departments in the Canadian capital of Ottawa. Ottawa. G4S is the largest employer in the entire continent of Africa, with over 110,000 employees across 29 nations. Ranked the third largest privately owned corporation in the world, G4S is also a private 
prison company with its own standing army and a reputation for brutality so bad, the South African government took over operations from G4S after finding it had lost effective control over their prison in the wake of a series of stabbings, riots, strikes, and hostage-taking. Now, what state has 3,500 personnel to manage 5,000 prisoners with an annual budget of $180 million and warehouses eight blacks for every one white person in a state that only has a 5% black population? No need to wonder. We're exposing them right here and right now. Tonight in our America is Ferguson series. Nebraska is Ferguson. This week's rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad is Glenn Ford. But freedom was short-lived for the innocent Louisiana man who was exonerated in 2013 after serving 30 years on death row. In June of, or 30 years near death row, in June of 2015, he died from stage four lung cancer only 15 months after his release from prison. Tonight, we'll tell you his story. Our abolitionist in profile is Samuel Sharp, 1801-1832. Samuel Sharp was the main instigator of the 1831 Jamaica Slave Rebellion, which began on the Kennington Estate in St. James and which was largely instrumental in bringing about the abolition of slavery. Expect all of that and more tonight on New Abolitionist Radio. You can find archive podcasts at New Abolitionist radio.blogspot.com and we invite you to join the conversation by calling us at 1-641-715-3660 extension 549-032-POUND just press press star 6 and 1 to queue up from the conference line peace brother Scotty uh, peace your honor how you guys uh, doing today I'm, I'm doing um <sighs> I'm going to try not to be cynical here, man. Yeah, but you don't like when I ask you that. Just out of curiosity, how are you making out today? Um, Productive, productive in terms of what we do. You know, putting out media. Wednesday is always a busy day. So many live programs on, uh, like coming on right after this one, the Lotus Place, uh, Radio World. They'll be talking about uh, black nationalism um, as a blueprint. And so, um, just, you know, been through a range of, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, feelings and whatnot. Uh, you know, you had the first Democratic debate uh, last night. Then Ann Coulter, you know, said some stuff on Twitter about uh, name one person or one case where somebody was in prison just for smoking weed, you know, um, in reference to the legalization question that was asked in the Democrats. And then you had, of course, a couple of them Republican uh, followers were, you know, just demonizing, repeating drug war propaganda, talking points and stuff like that. But I was able to engage a couple of them and I did invite them to tune in to New Abolitionist Radio tonight. Whether they do or not, uh, if they do, they will be educated. I, of course, you know, asked them about the 13th Amendment. You know, you want to talk about slaveries in the past or whatnot. But anyway, without um, giving you a replay of all that, you can go check out the conversation on Black Talk Radio at Black Talk Radio on Twitter. Um, then, you know, just listen to other people's thoughts and how they feel about, you know, the um, justice or else uh, what what occurred there. A whole bunch of people talking about it from different angles and they're all valid questions. But then I feel like there's unreasonable um, criticism for criticizing 
You know what I'm saying? When things are being put out to the public, uh, we're supposed to digest that, analyze it. And then as as uh, political comment, commentators or social commentators that we come on a digital radio station to educate people on, if somebody speaks on something that's related to anything we talk about on this station, we're going to analyze it. We're going to critique it. All right. And I, you know, I don't. I, I just don't feel like, well, let me just put it this way, uh, you know, getting attacked by cult members, man, that can be kind of stressing. Uh, <laughs> I've seen it uh, happen to uh, Evelle Carnett for some questions that she asked, and we're supposed to ask questions, right? Oh, mm-hmm. but we're not supposed to question each other or or people that are showcased uh, when they put out something to the public. We're not supposed to analyze it for our listeners, you know, people that uh, tune in, um, you know, to this station, because they value, um, you know, um, our opinions and um, our uh, analysis and whatnot. So anyway, um, I'm just out. And then I read what you said about, you know, you were upset with the Bernie Sanders campaign. And you was like, you will never trust Bernie Sanders again because the and the um, Justice is Not for Sale Act 2015 uh, was not talked about it talked about or brought up and there was some points where he could have mentioned that legislation and he should have took the opportunity to mention that le- legislation but you, what shocked me was uh, Ann Arkis said that he's not going to trust Bernie Sanders and well, uh, you know and I was like I was shocked that you believe any politician. You know I put a lot of effort into that because I'm following uh, I've been studying Frederick Douglass and how he worked with the presidential candidate of that time. Right. Even though that particular candidate was a racist, you know, trying to right. end abolition. So I've right. always been an anarchist. But I'm like, you know what? I'll do what I need to do. I'll work with anybody to get some help to solve this problem. And I expected more than it to be just thrown to the side like it didn't matter like that. And it only for me made me feel like he took a dive on purpose. Because if they spoke of private or profit prisons, Hillary Clinton's campaign would be dead. It would be killed. If those inf- the information and her history, her deep roots, the Clinton's family in the birth and the maintenance of this, not only as individuals, but also using the office of the president, they'd likely end up in the prisons themselves. So that means for me, Bernie Sanders was a fluffer. He's just up there at this point really to uh, uh, give an extreme version for Hillary Clinton to feel out the votes and what people are looking for. He has no intention of being president. That's what I'm thinking right now. I don't know, man. Oh, well me plan B for me is this kill the competition, kill bill. Oh, you don't want to be, you want to be a punk, huh? You don't want to talk about this stuff. Well, we're going to take away the competition. I'm going to do everything I can to expose their relationship. So they may be facing prison time before the election comes up. So the only thing left will be, Mr. Bernie Sanders. Well, I don't agree with that perspective. You're, uh, there are other people who, who share that perspective that he's some kind of fluffer for Hillary Clinton and, you know, he's uh, presenting the extreme left, but I don't find uh, abolitionism to be extreme. I don't find, you know, um, uh, many other things to be extreme, but I never trust a politician. I call it what it is. This is USA Inc. This is not a nation. This is not a country. Um, as we have been, you know, uh, taught in, in, you know, 
through public media, through public education and whatnot, and they don't teach you that. In 1871, this became a corporation, and then you wonder why corporations rule this land, as do, uh, Bernie Sanders does speak out on. But um, I'm not really bought into it. I never, the guy that's, that's over the occupied territory that I live in, um, his name is Patrick McHenry. He's a Republican, a straight up Zionist. I've have, I, he don't never respond, but of course, you know, I'm expressing my opinion towards him as the so-called elected representative that's occupying this, this territory, you know, and, and I don't look at him as a representative. He don't, which means that he represents me, but, um, you know, what he is is a corporate officer. Technically, anybody, I dare anybody to prove me wrong that these are not representatives, these are not congresswomen or whatever uh, term they're using to make them think that they represent the will of the people. We, you are electing corporate officers. And I do participate in, in the process so that nobody can say to me about anything, you didn't try this or you didn't try that. And I don't tell people not to try what we what have we been seeing for four years? Death by a thousand paper cuts. I support any activity that is going to abolish slavery, uh, overthrow uh, the system of racism and white supremacy, what a lot of people want to call corporatism and, and, and all of that. But look who's running the corporations. It is what it is. Let's call it what it is. Um, it's the same thing that's been going on for centuries on this particular landmass that they call North, North America. And so... You know, I, I feel the frustration or whatnot, but I'm still going to keep applying that pressure. You know what I'm saying? You still need, look, you still need to, the contacts that you made with his campaign, you know what I'm saying? Um, also, um, like you posted the photo where you met with uh, DeRay uh, McKisson. Is that his name? DeRay McKisson, part of Black Lives Matter? Yes. And what did he report last week that we published on Black Talk Radio Network? What did he report? I remember that in a meeting with Hillary Clinton considering ending private prisons. But again, neither one of them mentioned that. And when I say now name a time in history that that in the history of television, in the history of radio, in the history, you know, we could even say print media, let's say newspapers and we know those goes back centuries. But in television and mass media, name any other time that any candidate or anybody was talking about abolishing slavery in any form in in this corporate state. Oh yeah, I understand. Name it. So you made here. some tremendous impact. The new abolitionist movement making moves behind the scenes. You know, um, the way that we blast on on corporate America, the way we blast on others. That's why you don't hear any advertisement, and we depend on people to give donations for us to continue our media operations. You know, uh, but they're not also they're also not going to invite Max Parkis or or a person like him on to MSNBC pick a program or Fox News pick a oh, program. PBS just censored P- you. So yeah, exactly. There you go. PBS just censored you. So that platform that Bernie Sanders was speaking on was controlled. You know what I'm saying? And the questions were controlled, but he did have opportunities. But what yeah, I'm saying yeah. is I wouldn't burn any Show bridges. That it mattered. I wouldn't burn any bridges with him and the inroads that, that the Black Lives Matters people made 
in getting a candidate like a Hillary Clinton who has such strong ties to private prisons. What I prisons. said my plan B is, my what's, plan what's B that? is not to dismiss him from presidency. My plan B is to kill the competition with, without his uh, uh, approval of doing so. He came in saying, I'm not going to attack Hillary Clinton when he literally could have killed her campaign there that day. But, but look, man, we living in an age of where domestic violence and, and, and feminism and, you know, and rightly so, women's rights, things like equal pay and family leave, and those are sensible things that nobody should be against. But corporations, right? They're, they're the problem, right? And, and so, so, you know, but, but, <clears throat> excuse me. And I'm I'm tripping on how many times she brought up the fact that she was a woman. No, so what what is that? That's genderism right there. You know what I'm saying? What do it matter? We know it's always been white men, and, and then you got Barack Obama, and we ain't looking just to elect somebody on on because of of whatever their biological makeup is. You know what I'm saying? And for her to say that several times, you see that that's wrong, man. That's just that's just wrong. But, you know, when you go after a Hillary Clinton, you have to be careful with her because of the media already. They've all it's clear that the mainstream corporate media has anointed her. They all even Fox News helps solidify in people's mind that she is the presumptuous uh, nominee. You know, like she got it on, on on lock. So, but anytime a male is dealing with a female candidate, yeah, look at Donald Trump. So you had to be careful. So I ain't worried about that. I understand what you're saying. Killed her. Hey, he got plenty more opportunities. So then, that's why you uh, put in that line of communication that next debate you got to use that opportunity to announce an abolitionist initiative. You, yeah, you did it, and the corporate media didn't pick it up. We got the video. We posted the video as part of the petition supporting the legislation. You know what I'm saying? And so he, he missed the opportunity to introduce that, that. Introduced the debate, never even mentioned the whole the, the bill at all. Nobody mentioned it like it didn't exist because to them, it's just not that important for them. It's our lives, but to them, it's not so we need to go after them. We need to go after the corporate media. We just need to keep doing what we're doing because apparently we're seeing progress. Yeah, Again, that is, that, that's even historic for a presidential campaign to even acknowledge that. Now, he hasn't come out and said that this is slavery, but he speaks, he speaks about it in cold words that it is slavery. That's why you have to abolish it. And, right? you know, that's one of the things that bothers me a lot because I sit and listen to them talk about wall street like they are criminals who should be rounded up and thrown in prisons right now they don't mince any words on how bad they think this whole structure is including saying it's completely corrupted it's built on fraud but when it comes to private prisons that right there we're just making an error in judgment it's something we can work on you know what i mean they don't look at that in the same light it's always crawled down to to because they bought into it these are co- multi-corporations that have many subsidiaries. You would be surprised what you would find and dig if you dug the uh, financial connections between, you know, the private prison. And, I mean, they join all together in ALEC That's and pool their resources. Today. That's you know? what today's whole program really is about. Yeah. To show it's the global. global way that this thing has grown up and taken hold of the world again with America as the model. 
Right. And, and then I was feeling for the people in the African descended people in Brazil or anybody that is caught up in that in, in, in the, uh, the slavery that's still going on down there. I don't know exactly what their constitution said, but guess what? Um, if they are opening up the door for private prisons to come down in there, then um, get ready for some mass incarceration. But don't fall for that term is slavery, straight up slave. Slavery exists all over this planet, legalized. We know like the Hillary Clinton's global initiative initiative. See, they talk about they're supposed to talk about and they do promote um, um human trafficking and, and especially in terms of women and all of that is going on but it, the big difference is that's illegal that's illegal and then she took money the global not she I should say the Gl- Clinton Global Initiative uh, organization took money from countries Arab countries that we know are involved in the illegal trafficking of women and girls you know and, and, and so but then as a, a president, you know, as a presidential candidate, I mean, it's right there in your face, man, that she got these lobbyists. Now, Delray McKisson said that she adamantly said that she was against uh, um, that um, she will she will in private prisons. That's what she said. Right. She will in private prisons. But they couldn't get a commitment from her to fire or prevent the prison or stop taking money from the at least two confirmed private prison lobbyists, you know, from the, of course, the ones that stand the profit um, in any enslavement that's going on in Africa, that's going on in Brazil, as you report in South America. It's just all over the entire globe, man. It's slavery, and it's legalized. Legalized slavery, that's right. And human trafficking. Well, Geo yeah. Didn't Geo Group just take over uh, the entire so-called nation of Australia? Yes, uh, Geo Group manages the Australian nation. The whole nation. The whole nation went privatized after 20 years of experimenting with private prisons. Uh, and they're not the only one. It's the, the ones that we picked today, just a few. But in Scotland, they have private prisons. In Haiti, they have private prisons. Um, they have these private prisons all across Europe. Uh, private prisons just everywhere you look. There are these private prisons. And it's the same companies. The same companies. So it's not a local thing. This is a global circumstance with the same enslavers working in America and in Australia and in Israel and in Africa and in Haiti and on and on and on. Yeah, and so um, when people ask me how I'm feeling today or how are you doing today, Scotty, and I'll just, I know people just used to tradition and asking those things is considered being polite, but I'm like, when I think about this 24-7, because I do as a new abolitionist, as a person that works in mass media communications and, and you know, producing programs and talking about real stuff, not talking about keeping up with the Kardashians or the bad girls or uh, whatever wives of whoever, you know what I'm saying? We talking about real stuff and when you know what's really going on, it's hard to keep your energy up. It's hard to keep your, you know, an emotional balance. And so, you know, that's stressful, man. And so, you know, I'm dealing best I can behind these enemy lines. Just today, we had to start ripping up carpets and furniture because uh, we're getting mold from the, you know, the hurricane that we just went through and the roads are still out in many places so we're trying to determine how much we've lost so far so we can work with FEMA who's here 
to try to see if we can get some kind of recompensation for it or some help with replacing things. Get everything you can. That's what y'all pay taxes for and contribute to the economy and they making money off of your children and all of that. So get whatever you can. That's what, you know, Brother Dave was talking about emergency preparedness. Um, all this week he's been talking about it. And um, I think either was on Tando Radio Show Facebook page, but they were saying, no, it was Dave. Dave was saying, like, if FEMA offer you a meal or something like that, even though you got supplies because you've been, you're a prepper. <laughs> yeah, we and, had lunch from FEMA today. Yeah, so, but if they come passing out some meals, you know, uh, he, he mentioned Sun Tzu, the art of war. And saying when you could utilize your enemy's resources, then you have increased yours, you know, however many fold. So, yeah, get that, get whatever you can get back from these these people because they stole it from other people. You know, we didn't think we had so much damage originally because the water came up to our doorstep and to our side. Door. Oh, it yeah, it's going to be flooded into the house, man. We realized that the water has soaked the entire lower floor from underneath. And it's just now, you know, it's really starting to get bad yeah. and worse. Yeah, that that can that that um that can like develop mold and stuff, which is like poisonous, and you know yeah, that, that moisture yeah. ain't good, you know. So yeah, but you I know, I don't mean to hold you up from the stories, man. I know we only got a limited amount of time, um, brother Johanan. Uh, anytime um, that you want to join us, to uh, go right ahead, bro. You know the number. He might be in on the conference line. He could be having issues with Skype. I'll check that out, but Max, if you want to get us started. Uh, yeah, we're running about two minutes away from our first commercial break, so you just uh, want to do it after the break? Yeah, we can do it after the break. So, I mean, it's just been so much, you know, going on, man, and just frustrated with a whole lot of stuff, but, you know, that's, you know, warfare. War, war is not easy going. It's not pleasant or anything like that. And you know, you fight battles in your mind. And and man, so well, you know, I do want to give a shout out to somebody that's not one of the stories we have proposed for today, but he is somebody who's doing some great things. And that's Ken Thompson out in Brooklyn. Um, he's got another program that he's working on. I'm trying to find it on New Abolitionist Radio now, but apparently. He's uh, helping people to clear some of their charges on them, and ex- there's outstanding warrants. Yeah. So I saw long lines of people coming like in. Like some amnesty-type deal California was talking yeah. about. Ken, Ken Thompson's always on point, always ahead of everybody he, else. He tries. He's trying, yeah. He's he trying. tries. He, that, it's not that he ahead of others. They, the others just ain't trying because they practicing slavery and human trafficking. And so he doing what he can behind the enemy lines in the in the uh, limited power that white people said he could have. And so he's trying to let out many slaves as he can. So shout out to him. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio with Scotty Reed and Max Parthas. Johanna may be joining us later. I know he's running late because he's been working a lot of long yeah, hours. Yeah, that's true. We're going to take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to talk, uh, talk about Jamaica and slavery. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio.
Welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Uh, if you haven't heard, recently in Jamaica, there's been a call for reparations ringing loudly across the whole island. And recently, uh, David Cameron visited Jamaica. And uh, the, instead of talking about reparations for slavery, uh, he instead presented another option, which is to help Jamaica or to financially assist Jamaica in building more prisons. He actually said reparations are not the right approach. We should focus on the future, which translated to me means forget what happened to you. Let's put that aside so I'm not in debt to anybody for anything and my people aren't in debt to anybody for anything. And let's focus on the future and y'all can act like that never happened. But I got a plan for you. Well, what kind of future does he envisage? It turns out that Cameron really wanted to discuss was the building of a prison on the island. According to the BBC, the UK will contribute 40% of the cost of building a 1,500-person capacity prison. There are estimated to be around 600 Jamaican citizens in British prisons. And the hope is that when the new prison is built in Jamaica, these offenders will be simply be transferred. The agreement does not come out of the blue. The British government has been pushing Jamaica and Nigeria to build new prisons with British financial assistance for years. The problem for the UK at the moment is that prison conditions in Jamaica are so dire that prisoners facing transfer would likely be able to successfully resist it on human rights mm. grounds. The solution then, build shiny modern prisons so that foreign criminals can be sent home to serve their sentences. This is happening right now in Jamaica. Scotty? Uh, yeah, I'm here, man. Um, again, this is a, a it's a global problem, man. And and then the nerve of and we talked about this on this program in terms of the reparations. I believe we discussed it, uh, you and I, and and perhaps Johanan, when David Cameron, the Prime Minister of England, you know the uh, uh, person that the Queen of England had has deemed, you know, the leader of the country, but she, you know, that family really pulling the strings and whatnot. But he went down to Jamaica, and uh, he told them that, you know, basically let's let's just forget about the past. Not really forget about the past because we bound it together, you know, through slavery, through all, you know, just the horrors of all that, through a, through a language, again, you know, the brutality of slavery where they strip you of your own language, and then talking about through their queen, oh, really, the woman that's sitting on top of all of that, that uh, uh, ill-gotten uh, so-called wealth uh, that, that came from slavery, remember, in Britain, the uh, the uh, enslavers are the ones that got paid reparations. And David Cameron is a direct beneficiary from that with, I think it was his great-grandfather or great-great-grandfather, but he come from slave money that we can, you know, we don't have to say you benefit from, you know, white privilege or anything like that. No, you directly, we can prove, you know, without a doubt that you personally have a, a, a debt owed to uh, the descendants of the enslaved Africans that your ancestors and, and the government and everything else you say represented you uh, benefited from and and so you know but again my issue is with um, and it's not I shouldn't say issue cause um, that's kind of a negative tone but my only concern with the reparations movement and when they make calls like that is that they are not acknowledging that slavery 
was never abolished. So if you could tell them some of them details, Max, where them private prison enslavers sneaking in or may have actually uh, been there all along. Yeah, uh, they have actually have been there. The 600 Jamaicans who are enslaved right now that they're talking about, for instance, you don't want to underestimate the value of a black man, <laughs> you know? And I mean, Hell, man, go ahead, Max. I don't want to interrupt you, but you just, and, I learned and, something. And I mean that literally and figuratively. These brothers that they have in these cages, just the 600 of them, if they are valued at the fast food of America's prison slavery Louisiana cost, which is $20,000 a year in Jamaica, is worth $120 million annually. That's what they're getting for them. $120 million. Why do you think they want to invest 40% into the cost of building one fifteen hundred? Because now they go from $120 million all the way up to $300 million or near $300 million a year, which they get 40% of. Max, I am trying to pull up an article uh, right now on Smith Sonia uh, Mag. is coming up now. I got to find it, though. It's like four or five pages, man. It's a really in-depth uh, expose. This is their words. Uh, I suspect, suspect this is a white person who wrote this, uh, Henry Winecheck or whatever. But the title of his article is The Dark Side of Thomas Jefferson, A New Portrait of the Founding Father Challenges the Long-Held Perception of Thomas Jefferson as a Benevolent Slaveholder. Um, and why I did, how I came across this article was, you know, I was in a debate, if, if you will. I kind of felt like I was really being attacked and told to shut up. Actually, I was told to shut the F up. You know what I'm saying? When I, when somebody reported to me, one of my listeners or readers or, or whatever you want to, you know, someone who consumes the media I produce said that Minister Farrakhan said that Thomas Jefferson, um, was a great man. And and had other praises for him. Um, I, I'll probably be writing an article about it, uh, but I posted the exact quote on Facebook. If you want to, you know, read it on my personal Facebook, read Scotty. Um, so just reverse my my name, but it reads Scotty. If you want to read what he said about Thomas Jefferson, and so I was like, you know, I know Thomas Jefferson. The Black Talk Media Project actually put out a meme that some of our donors paid for to promote on Facebook, showing um, Thomas Jefferson and and the victim of slavery. I think her name was Sally Hemming, something like that. I I, I forget. Um, there are just so many victims, hard to keep up with them all. Uh, but it was called a series we call Your Heritage is Hate. You know, we came up with it right after the, the uh, manual nine was gunned down by a vicious terrorist named Dylan Roof. And so we just wanted, and, and then down there in South Carolina, you was part of that, Max, leading the way uh, to pull down that flag, you yes, know, and, and, and the sister from Charlotte up here, you know, where I am. And, mm-hmm. and, 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 and so, you know, that's when we came up with that, that media propaganda campaign series, man. Uh, your heritage is hate. And Thomas Jefferson was not only, not only, uh, enslaver, but he was an adulterer because he was married and he married his, uh, wife's half sister. That's who says Sally Hemming was. All right, that was her half sister cause, you know, uh uh Thomas Jefferson wife was a slaver too. All right, and he was sleeping with using the uh uh women as sex slaves and producing children and whatnot. 
And so then he sells one of his children, right, that he didn't have with an enslaved person to Thomas Jefferson and asked to have as a sex slave. Okay? This is a vile human being that you can never use words like great or brilliant or we're talking about some of the most vile people in, in the history of man. And so to prove my point, I started looking that up. Now, let me tie this up real quick. Uh, why I brought up this article because it talks about how he was one of the first ones he even wrote on a piece of paper advising George Washington how he could make more money he 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 like did a calculation or or inventory or or what do they call it when the accountants come in and all of that you know audit. of his of his slave of his uh slavery operation an audit uh, audit exactly and he found that his wealth increased i think i, I gotta find the exact uh numbers jefferson's four percent okay i think I'm, i found it right here the irony i'm just read this please read this article i'll share it on new abolitionist radio okay the, the, it says the irony is that jefferson sent his four percent formula to george washington who freed his slaves precisely because slavery had made human beings into money like cattle in the market and this disgusted him and again I suspect this person is white that wrote this and that's a lie because I know George Washington's history alright as well alright but it ain't about George Washington right now we talking about Jefferson but he sent this 4% formula that he came up with from this audit and and he was saying, where was it? Uh, Jefferson takes the four percent formula further and quite bluntly advances the notion that slavery presented an investment strategy for the future. He writes that an acquaintance who had suffered financial reverses should have been invested in Negroes. He advises, and these are in quotes. They're quoting him. He advises that if the friend's family had any cash left, Every farthing of it should be laid out in land and Negroes, which besides a present support bring a silent profit, a silent profit of from five to ten percent in this country by the increase in their value. So I'm tying it into what you said about uh, the price of a uh, of a slave in today's modern day system, uh, uh, system uh, what did you say of a black man? You of know what I'm saying? Man. That's right. And you we can trace that minutes. back in history. We can trace that back to the problem. We're, we're talking stock market here, are we not? We're talking Wall right. Street. We're talking trading on Wall Street. We're talking third largest privately owned corporation in the whole damn world. We're talking about global influence with their own standing armies and mercenary forces working with uh, the U.S. military to help invade other countries. Let, let me, water let, was just purchased by G4S, so now they own them. Yeah, the only asset more valuable than the black people was the land itself. The formula Jefferson had stumbled upon became the engine, not only of Monticello, that, that was, you know, his slave operation. And uh, where is Monticello? And is that in Virginia? I, I'm, I'm not sure. Anyway... Um, no Massachusetts I think I'm not sure uh, anyway but of the entire slave holding south 
and northern industry shippers, banks, insurers, and investors who weighed risk against returns and bet on slavery. So this ain't no north and south thing. Slavery ain't never been about no north and south. Ever. Never been about no north and south uh, uh, thing. You know, and, until people like abolitionists and, and the enslaved themselves rising up in violent rebellion did these people ever think about abolishing slavery and then the great I, I was talking to somebody today on Facebook about this picture that they you know thought was beautiful and it had it, it was a picture in a picture with Lincoln the great betrayer a bunch of black men shooting pool and Lincoln in the background you know uh, uh, on the wall and I'm like yeah the great deceiver you know what I'm saying everybody most people that have never heard this program or aren't regular listeners will be shocked to hear us call Lincoln the great deceiver and indeed it's been a grand conspiracy to promote this lie for 150 years when slavery was never abolished it was amended All right, that's the the attitude that we saw last night with the Democratic National uh, um, debate going on that they don't even get it just like they didn't get it in 1964 when Newark was rioting they didn't think anything they were doing was wrong just like they didn't think anything they were doing was wrong in 1862 see they just to them it doesn't matter it's like ah that's just something it's no big deal why are you guys crying so much you're living good you had potatoes last night we gave you a job for three dollars an hour what else do you want You You know, know, that's how they look at it. You know, I heard heard you earlier. No, you were on Facebook and you were asking for abolitionists. Um, to profile on tonight's program, but I may have uncovered a new abolition. I don't know, a new abolitionist, um, meaning that he's new to me, uh, because he called, uh, Lincoln, cause see what, what Minister Farrakhan was quoting was in telling people to do their homework came straight off of a website that was made by people that's gonna whitewash the truth. If you understand what I mean, that's going to paint this man like he was some grand, you know, uh, genius or something on ideals of liberty and freedom. And, and you know, uh, and, and it's just straight up lies when he was copying what, you know, talking about writing the Declaration of Independence, all of that stuff, man. He just changed words around from different documents that he got from Europe and probably from uh, other you know cultures and whatnot because there was a culture and a nation already here called the Mississippian nation when Europeans landed here wasn't just a bunch of separate tribes that wasn't in contact with each other that's all of man everything that they teach you in school in terms of history I would say all the way up to grade 12 you got to throw all that out and when the minister perpetuates those lies either through his own ignorance or or whatnot but I would think that um well, I don't know. Maybe I expect too much of people. But my personal code is you never, ever uh, refer to a white supremacist, especially an enslaver who was a rapist and an adulterer. I mean, he was really a sick individual in any kind of positive connotations. I don't admire you. If you want to even call him like some dude tried to say, oh, he just meant it as, you know, in an evil genius. No, 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 no. But he challenged people to do their homework. But I had already done my homework because I studied this 24-7. All right. So I had already done my homework and I knew the answers that it is incorrect 
to paint this man as some kind of liberator or had these grand ideals like you know he did introduce some early documents to try to abolish slavery but again this come we bring that to the elections today and some of the things you were talking about all this legislation that was really never brought up during the democratic uh, uh, debate that has been introduced you know back in George uh, in their time when the so called founding uh, fathers were forming this government and submitting legislation and, 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 and all. yes he did submit some stuff as an abolitionist you know that would abolish uh, slavery but but he never once gave up slavery personally so you can say all oh, you want to say words you know we got a bunch of words for you and people say talk is cheap yeah word people can spit all kind of words for you make it sound nice make it sound whatever but it's about what they doing it ain't about what they saying you know what i'm saying so you know i heard people chat like you max you challenged bernie sanders i hope you ain't no fraud and you just ain't you know putting this out there and you really don't believe is that important to abolish private prisons because if you really did you know i know you didn't practice they said you didn't practice and like everybody else do and have people playing hillary clinton and playing so and so and you just wing it or whatever uh i know you didn't practice but you missed a grand opportunity to make uh television history by announcing a piece of abolitionist legislation so don't tell me you're thomas jefferson and well i can't say that he ain't like hillary he ain't taking money from private prison industry or anything like that or any of these corporations that's that but you know he missed a big opportunity but i'm all about truth man i'm all about truth and pushing that truth well let's uh get on to another piece of truth that we got with these stories to provide today uh, I guess we just talked about what's happening in Jamaica. Let's go on and share some of the news of what's happening in Brazil. And I believe you did mention Brazil. Uh, in 2012, I believe it. Well, let me read this one of these articles, at least part of it, and one of another article so you get the idea. Officials in Sao Paulo have begun this road show to recruit investors for three private prison contracts with 750 million reals, which is $375 million, with the world's fourth largest population of people behind bars, 550,000. As of June last year, Brazil's prison system suffers from overcapacity of 178% and is known for its violence. Brazil's justice minister once described them as medieval and said he would rather die than spend years in one. See, the project is the latest example of Brazilians' authorities recruiting private investment for infrastructure projects. Now, a lot of big words. Basically, what it means is we're going to warehouse human beings for profit in order to enrich our nation. We're going to get the money from the taxpayers who are actually making some money to pay for the enslavement of their own children. Uh, the state of Minas Gerais inaugurated its first prison complex to be operated through a similar investment scheme earlier that month. In Sao Paulo projects, companies will bid to build and operate three male prison facilities holding a total of 10,500 inmates. Now, remember, I told you what 600 is worth, 120 million just for 600. Imagine what 10,500 inmates are worth. And there was actually two stories that came out. So I want to read some of the quotes out of the other story. Uh, one where it says, from the time a person goes to a private prison in Brazil, where your life is worth $940 a month, you cease being a human 
and you become a commodity. This is a welcome to America.org. And in these articles, both of them agree on one thing. Mm -hmm. They compare the conditions these people are living in in these prisons to barbarism, living Mm -hmm. with rats and uh, with no food, no running water. Uh, having to, you know, use the bathroom there in these cells that they're locked in perpetually. It's just inhumane. And you, any you see why I feel like I can't complain about anything? You know what I'm saying? Any complaint, you know, I, I mean, I complain, but it's usually about other people's problems. You know what I'm saying? That, but these conditions that you're describing, man, like you, like the article say, medieval. You, you know, you, we're thinking dungeons with rats and and. People, you know, being chained to the wall. I, I'm sure that's all going on. So now what? They privatizing it again. You know, I want to keep taking this back to Thomas Jefferson because I think we may have made history ourselves or at least media history uh, tonight. But um, as I read more of this article or revisit it again, because I gave it a speed read the first time. But like I said, it's like five pages long. But I think we can trace the uh beginnings of private prisons and the whole using looking at slavery purely from investment standpoint you know to thomas jefferson could we say he the father of private prisons or 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 the or the uh slavery as a profit model whatever you want to call it prison for profit it's all about black bodies housing and using black bodies as many as possible and there's plenty of black bodies down there in brazil better believe me that they probably the majority i think they the majority and the only thing i got to say to that majority is what we open up um you know this program with with mass parties and what's the name of that track max rise up okay enough said rise up i've been pushing people to rise up since before that track came out and that came out in 2008 uh been on the top of the charts a few times a lot of people heard it and they feel it because they're not gonna stop on their own i just want y'all to know that they just not gonna stop because you asked them to um you know of course again i support every avenue death by a thousand paper cuts i support legislation i support demonstrations i support you know uh all of that all the peaceful means presenting cases to the united nations all of the peaceful means and and people using their intellect to try to figure it out through whatever activity area they involved in i support all of that but i feel like and perhaps i'm a pessimist at the end of the day you can't take no for an answer when you really look at what we're dealing with here you know we again many of us are victims of a mass media education on history but we dealing with the same old monster that when we look in the movies and look at roots or something like that 12 years of slavery we think that's horrible and how you know we could we've come so far and you ain't man come on now <laughs> you come far really it's just spreading like a cancer to the rest of the world this has all occurred in the last 45 years and in particularly in the last 20 years uh the as we've said the clintons helped lead this on a global level i'd like to read just a little bit more of the article from the uh brazil one and then we've got to take a break i believe and then on the other side i'll do one more uh and then we'll go on with our other stuff I, I do before story. I'm sorry let me I don't mean to interrupt you Max just yes. to update you know listeners on Johanna uh Johanna your people uh I'm I'm sorry Johanna people y'all need to hurry up and pick the brother up 
because he behind enemy lines. Y'all, his car broke down. I heard from him. He uh, texted me, said that his car broke down and his people on their way to get him. Hurry up and pick him up, you know, because we don't want no Darren Wilsons. We don't know where he at right now. Might be working uh, uh, somewhere like So, yeah, uh, hurry up and pick up our brother uh, so that he can make it back to the crib uh, behind these enemy lines. So that's what uh, happened with Johanna. Uh, y'all send them positive uh, vibes. Keep them safe. Well, according to the Professor Lorenda Diaz Minhoto of the F- Faculty of Arts and Humanities in the University of Sao Paulo, the privatization of prisons is a Brazilian model that shares certain elements of U.S. private prisons, as well as the British model, which allows for private capital to finance public infrastructure. The neoliberal project, especially the American style, seeks to turn all spheres of social life into a company, including the state itself, punctuated by an enterprising economic rationality, affirmed Diaz Minotto in a March 2015 debate called Public-Private Partnership in Brazil's Prisons, Legal, Political, and Ethical Implications. And then further, he went on to say we're prisons in company mode Jesus Filo does not doubt that the spaces in private prisons are cleaner and the food is much better than public units, but he expresses surprise with the flows of capital that this implies. Privatization costs a lot. It costs 3,000 reals, $940 US per prisoner per month, and that is multiplied by 600,000 prisoners. How many millions is Brazil spending per month? It costs a lot, said Philo in the March PPP debate. Now, he has it right, but he has it wrong when he's saying spending. On one side of that spectrum, there's no spending going on. There is profit happening. Money is flowing in from the populace who are paying these companies to enslave their own people. And that's Brazil right there. Um, on the other side of that is, let me pull it up here is another story, and we've mentioned this before, a friend of ours, uh, Brother Fabio, out in Canada, is an abolitionist, and I was hoping that he he would eventually start an abolitionist movement in Canada, because Canada's moving towards private prisons. Like, everywhere you look, we've got stories on our cutting room floor right now that we are not including, uh, which includes Scotland and uh, Norway. We may not get to them all tonight. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, but we always share, and I did share that article on Jefferson. It's a good read. Uh, you know, every abolitionist uh, should read that, and you'll see the beginnings of the financial uh, machinations of this twisting in this evil man's mind, and then it became a model for the North and the South, the, the industry and the plantations in the South, you know. Yeah. Frederick oh, Douglass pointed that out in his did demand, he did he pointed that out about Thomas Jefferson well he pointed it about out how the North was going about duping other people okay. because the South said that they would not want slavery again and so the North just went around telling people that hey, the South ain't got slavery no more when in fact they were using their cunning through the prison convict leasing to convert it into a thing 
where they no longer had to care for the health and welfare of the people at all. They just became disposable. You know, them them um, so-called Confederates, and I despise them, and I think that, you know, you're very miseducated or you've been brought up to be a, a racist and to honor racists and uh, enslavers and white supremacists, you know, with your Confederate flags and, and all that. But I think they might be um, be some validity to the point that they bring up that it wasn't about slavery because I remember reporting on this program where I had uncovered and, and it was by accident the letters that um, were in this book that this man had found um, of Lincoln sending to his uh, a Georgia congressman. They were like buddies in the Congress, you know what I'm saying? And when he became president or right before, you know, um, it was like, you know, before the election he eventually won, but you know, the rumors in the South was is that he was going to try to abolish slavery because he, the Republican Party was founded as an abolitionist platform. A black man really, if you want to talk about who started or or who uh, gave birth to the Republican Party, I would I would argue Frederick Douglass did. Okay, I would argue him and maybe a few other people, but it was founded on an abolitionist uh, platform. And so, but he sent those letters telling that congressman, I know y'all heard. I you know uh, words written about me giving speeches about ending slavery, but let me tell you, I didn't really mean it, and I have no intention of in, uh, interfering with your uh, institutions down there in the South. And I'm paraphrasing what he said, and and it's in the archives. But you know, um, Frederick Douglass' words just really ring, man. Stupendous fraud. But again, with Jefferson, this is new information to me, man. Where this dude then did an audit and he then broke it down to a science and figured out if, if, if my enslaved African women have all these, you know, for every black child, my wealth increased, you know, anywhere from point, I think it's point four or five percent to ten percent. Man. He that, looked at it, them as commodities and nothing else. Really. Right. Right, commodities that he could have sex with whenever you. And that's how they looking at these people all over the world, whether it's Brazil, whether it's Canada. It usually starts. It always starts. Not usually. It always starts with the more melanated people, whether they classify themselves as black, African, whatever. You know how how they label themselves because they're confused and their history been stolen from them or whatever. Is their right self determination or or or, or whatnot? But. Um, they're all, they're looking at us all that way. We've even talked about this on the continent. It's still going on in the continent. In a matter of... Nobody's hands is right. clean. They, they don't look... They, for them, it wasn't about slavery. Just like uh, for um, this candidates that we saw yesterday, it's not about the prison industrial complex. It's about the economy. So for them, it was about money because they didn't see us as human beings. It was the for economy. Us, it was about slavery. For us, it was about slavery. And that was what Fred... Douglas's angst was about with Lincoln. He couldn't get Lincoln to understand that we are human beings and this is happening to us. And you worried about some damn money. <laughs> it's just shameful, man, how we all been miseducated, myself included, but that's why, 
you know, you have to make yourself read these things and pay attention in the work that uh, the work of other people, the researchers and whatnot that uncover this type of stuff. But because it's still going on and all and only like Neely Fuller Jr. has said, your only purpose for studying history should not be about saying I was a king and I was a queen and how great my nation was. But to find out what mistakes that, you know, your ancestors made that got you in this current predicament. And we've been in this current predicament in terms of slavery and human trafficking since the 1600s, probably, probably before that 1500, whenever Europeans got here and started enslaving. And they they never recognize what they're doing is wrong until many generations after it's been done. I mean, then we got people who claim to be descendants of enslaved Africans calling an enslaver a great man and brilliant. And I'm sorry, as an abolitionist, I have to speak out because our children are being miseducated bad enough as it is. They have to deal with that from them from the uh, uh, Texas school books. And, and let's not just say Texas, but y'all know what I mean. In Texas, they teaching them they was immigrants and, and whatnot, you know. They were immigrants and workers. They weren't slaves and, you know, it was voluntary. Man, please. That's why we, man, truth is power. Not enough people know the truth about slavery. Knowledge is power, brother. Indeed to that one. And that's why we are here today trying to give that knowledge. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, um, we're going to talk a little bit more about this global epidemic of slavery that has happened in the past few decades and then we're going to go on to our other segments. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio tonight with Max Parthas and Scotty Reed. We'll be right back after these messages. This is Brother Elliot, host of Time for an Awakening, and you're listening to Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennium. Peace and welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Uh, we've been talking tonight uh, about history and the global uh resurgence of slavery legalized slavery not illegal legalized slavery using the prison models of the united states and the uk as an example and how all of these different countries are been embracing it and immediately when they embrace it they usually start arresting more black people <laughs> and if or whoever they deem as the unwanted of those communities. But they'll take you with no matter what your racial classification but is. Whoever if they deem as unwanted. Like yeah, the, but they always coming for the black people first, and then you stand around, you know, and people won't talk about the Holocaust of Germany, and, and I remember a, a quote I haven't quoted in a long time. I think his name is Pastor Nia Moeller, and he said, first they came for the gypsies, and nobody stood up, and then they came for the communists, and and nobody stood up and then they, he didn't even mention the black people although they did come for them um, and you know they came from the, the mentally ill and nobody stood up for them and when they came for me it was nobody left so 
they coming. They coming after us all. So you can either get involved or you could just, you know, maybe it'll be your grandchildren that become a victim of slavery. I think it's, it really falls down to us here in the United States. If we can solve this problem, if we can... We're in the we, belly of the beast. You're right. If we can really kill this beast here in the United States, it'll fall apart everywhere in the world. Everyone else will follow our lead. Question. what we do. Question. You know, and I'm not trying to be all negative, but I'm asking questions. I'm a journalist. I haven't had the opportunity because I produce original programming and help others produce programming, but I haven't watched the, what, two and a half hour, three hour speech. Or, and, it, and the event started at 10 o'clock that morning. Did anybody call for uh, the immediate release of, of, of all the victims of the drug war for nonviolent victimless crimes as we, you know, the, uh, a term has been um, used to describe the victims of modern day slavery? Anybody call for, those, for their immediate release? Anybody call for the immediate release of our political prisoners? I'm asking a question. I wasn't there, no, but I can watch it on, TV, on, on you know, video. I watched and, the debate, and I didn't hear anybody call for freedom at no, all. No, I'm, I'm not talking about the debate. I'm talking about the justice or else rally. Oh, uh, I, I watched I don't that expect well. white supremacists hey, yes. to really give a strong call out for yes. in the slavery. Um, there was one group of women. Who one came group of women. Said, one group of women who came up and said, and it's on my page, I'll have to find it later and share it to New Abolitionist Radio. For me, it was all about them. They said they're coming to get their children out of these cages. They're coming to get their sisters and their brothers out of these cages. One way or another, they are going to be free. That was their mission in life. And uh, above anybody else that talked, I believe them. They were about it. That That's... Uh, I'll find the link as soon as I can and put it on a new abolitionist radio. But that that was the only group. Well, that, that is good to hear that abolitionist message got out, even though it wasn't, you know, it was coded or whatnot. But, yeah, they use accurate language cages and, and we're coming to get them. And last time y'all tricked us, you know, we, we thought we've settled this issue in this country. It was a civil war. There was much bloodshed and whatnot. And are y'all telling us we're going to allow these corporations to push us to that again? Because that's the cost of freedom. Malcolm X said that if you ain't prepared to die, if you ain't prepared to bleed, to end slavery that you know is vile, the most vile, um, whatever language you could use to describe evil things on this planet this is one of the most serious heinous uh, human rights violations crime against hu- humanity and you just standing around and you're not gonna do it is is you ain't ready to die to end it you know i see children i actually did it myself i signed a contract and i said i'll put my life on the line to defend the united states of america i understand it was a corporation back then i didn't know that and you know i went overseas got deployed to the war zone and whatnot and yeah hey i'll honor in my contract and so if i was willing to do that how much more should i be willing to say in no uncertain terms that i want to end slavery by any means necessary to quote malcolm and i'll leave it at that well, I'm, I want to wrap up our global uh, story here. Okay, Max. Hey, Max, do you mind if I invite callers to call in? You call know, because we, yeah, I think we can find a few minutes. Yeah, because we need to start including the callers. If we don't always get to the stories, look, that's why we got the group Move to Abolish 21st Century Slavery and Human Trafficking. And how long have we operated that group? 
Uh, wow, since we first started New Abolitionist Radio, like four years. Okay, so it started with just me, you, and Johan, and now it's over 2,000 people. And the majority of the active people in that group, that's all they do is post the information that we bring into you tonight. So we, again, when I talk about 24-7, I'm reading these intelligence reports from the field of all this slavery going on. Man, it, it it can bog you down, man. You can be depressing. And I think that's the problem, Max. And that's why you say our job is to agitate for an end of slavery because some people just try to ignore it and act like it don't exist. Apathy well, is what they call it. And we know that's unacceptable. I think the only reason that I don't really, you know, fall apart is because I've dealt with depression all my life. So yeah. I, I, I've yeah. met, learned to manage it to a degree. Yeah, we survivors. We survivors, yeah. Because if I if if I didn't have any understanding how to deal with depression, dude, oh my god! Right, that's why a lot of black people and other people self medicate, man. And you mm-hmm. want to lock them up for self medicating for the stress that you inducing, and then lo and behold, you find that cannabis is the perfect drug to prescribe the soldiers suffering from PTSD. Well, what the hell do you think we got? Well, like I said, man, let me close this up so we can go ahead into our other segments. I just want to point out that on the website, New Abolitionist Radio, you can find the stories that we haven't talked about, uh, including Africa and uh, Scotland. And uh, I just want to point out one more thing to close this all up. is about France. It shows you how when this first was initiated with the Clintons' assistance, that it was going global from the very start. That was the intention for slavery not only to wake up in the United States, but to wake up everywhere. And within a couple of decades to go back to, if not exceed, its former evil glory. Uh, in France, only some prisoners have, some prisons have been privatized in France, but the number has been rising ever since the uh, Shalindal Law was passed on the 22nd of June, 1987, which allowed the private sector to become involved in running prisons. The progression received a boost in 2002 when a law on the orientation and scheduling of judicial affairs was passed with plans to modernize prison infrastructure to increase it to 13,200 beds at a cost of 1.4 billion euros. Back in 1987, they were already working on a plan to privatize the prisons in France as America was doing the same thing, working with companies like the Cornell Group, Corrections Corporation of America and the GEO Group. And for those that don't even understand how far and how corrupt this was, the uh, Attorney General at the time of the Clintons was one of the people who helped, who, who be, uh, stepped onto the board of directors for the Cornell Company, which is a private prison company. So he went directly from Attorney General to board of directors for private prisons. Think about that. Well, there you have it. Slavery has returned to the world. And if you're anywhere in the world right now listening to this, we need you to become abolitionists. And, and I'm saying, you know, for those people that participate in politics, uh, area number six, I understand a lot of people and rightly have valid reasons to why they don't participate, but I'd participate. So, you know, anyway, you know, uh, the Clintons, how could anybody be supporting Hillary Clinton? She her like you said, her campaign should be dead already in terms of black people. And you want to talk about slavery and honoring your ancestors. And then we got all the black political representatives who gave her endorsed her back in April. 
I just heard Representative John Lewis endorsed her, but I also found out that Representative John Lewis took $1,000 in campaign. Don't, it might have been a little more than that, but he took some money from private prison. Uh, corporation. I can't recall what what what. And I I said it to him on Twitter. I tweeted it at his staff on Twitter. Now I understand why you endorsed Clinton. I just did my research and I see in your background that in 2010 you accepted money, a campaign, a contribution from a private prison lobbyist. So I yes. understand now why it's okay with you to endorse a modern day enslaver and human trafficking but then you want to talk about your marching in for freedom 50 years ago and you taking money from enslavers there are no sacred cows if you you know if you haven't heard me on in on this station before nobody is above criticism i'm providing analysis and it's not criticism if i'm telling the truth and the solution yeah i got solutions abolish slavery in racism, white supremacy, by any means necessary. It's a that, bunch of shenanigans right going on. If you take slavery away from them, you remove their primary source of power. It's the power over the people, the power over the purse, it, all the, uh, much of their economy, their jobs, their structures, their very way of life. And maybe that's why the masses don't want to do it. Because then they like, well, what are we going to do then? You know, I'm reminded of Malcolm X saying, you know, well, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go if we leave this plantation? I ain't got it better than nowhere than right here. You know, and I'm like, man, start a new, I mean, from listening to Tando radio show and the things that they report on uh, and looking at history of how long usually empires, you know, corrupt. Um, I think USA Inc. is 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 near its expiration date, so we're going to have to come up with something else anyway. Let's dissolve this corporation, and that's a nonviolent uh, action that we could take. Uh, you know, let's get some lawyers to work on that. This is a corporation incorporated in 1871. How do we, the so-called people, dissolve this corporation, and then we start over? You know, and, and we implement a structure based on international human rights. You know, law, the recognition of human rights, darn all this constitutional stuff, this civil rights, we want human rights. All right. So, yeah, you know, I I, I just think it's going to come to that. It needs to come to that. So don't be afraid of something new. It might be wonderful and beautiful. That's right. Freedom is always wonderful and beautiful. It you don't be. need to be rich to be free, because I've heard that too. The first one of the first times we interacted was years ago on an interview where a woman was talking about how what we're gonna do with no money. If we ain't got no money, why? Hey, how's that gonna help us? <laughs> and now I understand. I just had an epiphany of the uh, tax last night on CNN on the label socialist. You know, trying to get people to pledge to be capitalists. Well, what has capitalists given us for 400? Well, I gave you the history going all the way back to one of the founding capitalists, Tom and Jefferson, where he said that I can make 4% to, to 8% more every year annually, increase my wealth by how many more babies, black mm-hmm. babies is born. That's capitalism for you. Well, let, let me give an example of capitalism with our next segment, which is our America is Ferguson series. It shows exactly how this slavery system is a job creator. Um, one of the uh, the best examples, I would say, would be Nebraska. So what state has 3,500 personnel to manage only 5,000 prisoners with an annual budget of $180 million and warehouses 
eight black people for every one white person in a state that only has a 5% black population. You got to worry no more. You got to wonder. We're going to break it down to you tonight. Nebraska is Ferguson. What do you think, Scott? You ready? Yeah, you go for it, man. I, I Of course, I, I got some uh, production work that I need to be doing now. Uh, so I'm going to let you roll with that segment, but I'm ready. All right. Nebraska is Ferguson. People, quick facts. Population, 2004 estimates, 1,881,503. Of that, white alone is 89.4%. So let's just say 90% is white. Of that, black and African American alone, 4.9%. Rounded off to five. So we got 90 and we got five. American Indians represent 1.4%. Hispanic or Latino represent 10.2%. Now, business quick facts. Total number of firms as of 2007, earliest, uh, the latest I can get, is 160,000 businesses. Of the 160,000 businesses, 1.8% are black-owned, 0.4% are native-owned, 1.9% are Hispanic-owned, and as we've seen this trend, 25.7% are women-owned. The jail system. Nebraska has 93 counties, according to the latest jail census taken in 2006. There are 63 jail facilities and 2,693 inmates. The Nebraska Crime Commission Jail Standards Division is responsible for inspecting jails for standards compliance. So they have a standards compliance. Some states don't even have that. The prison systems. As of December 31st, 2013, the Nebraska prison population was 5,026. For fiscal year 2011, the department's budget was $178.4 million with a staff of over 3,500. Now, remember, remember that said for fiscal year 2011, odds are they're over $200 million by now. The average age of the person incarcerated is 36 uh, years. The av- for a male. The average age of a female is 35 years. Uh, the average length of stay for males is four and a half years, and the average length of stay for females is almost three years. The community correction system. From January to June 2014, there were more than 17,000 adult probationers under the supervision of the Nebraska probation system with the Nebraska Supreme Court as of November 30th, 2014, the Department of Correctional Services Adult Parole Administration supervised 1,103 Nebraska parolees. The crime rate in Nebraska in 2013 was 5% lower than the national average rate property crimes account for about 91% of the crime rate in Nebraska, which is 3% lower than the national rate. The remaining 9% are violent crimes and are about 25% lower than other states. In 2013, Nebraska had a rate 33% lower than the national average of incarcerated in prison adults per 100,000. In 2013, they had a rate 35% lower than the national average number of probationers per 100,000. Also, they had a rate of about 67% lower than the national average number of parolees per 100,000. Taxpayers in Nebraska paid about 12% more than the other states per inmate in 2012, uh, averaging 36,000 per adult versus the national average of 32,000. 
as of September 2013, Nebraska's prisons were running at 150% capacity. Prison and jail incarceration rates of incarceration per 100,000 population as of 2005. This is the one that shows you of this little 5% population versus the 90% population, how many of them are being incarcerated one versus the other? Well, for whites, 290 per 100,000. Blacks, 2,418 per 100,000. And Hispanics, 739 per 100,000. This is just amazing to even hear. You got double the number of Hispanics as you do with blacks, but blacks represent 2,418 per 100,000 versus Hispanics 739, which is double their population, and whites 290, which is uh, what is nearly eight, nine times, eight, eight times their population. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's like somebody is surrounding these black communities in Nebraska, hunting them and filling these prisons with them. Youth incarceration costs. According to Justice Policy, the Justice Policy Institute fact sheet, the cost of incarcerating one teenager for one year is approximately $127,000 a year to throw a teenager into prison. I have a, a number, as usually, I have a number of stories that I pulled to also show you how bad things are going in this uh, system in Nebraska. I'll give you some of the headlines and I'll share them on the page. Um, the worst, worst uh, police brutality ever recorded, Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, also in Omaha, they have... Shout out to the Omaha, too. Yep. Here, Point Dexter, Mondo Weelanger, political prisoners in Nebraska. In Nebraska. Nebraska has a, a long relationship with That's the where, CCA, um, uh, the um, number one private prison company in the world in the world cca that's where they have their relationship with and uh they've been working with them quite a bit it seems matter of fact uh cca in to uh tecamusa i can't really can't pronounce it, but it looks like tecamusa state prison had a riot there out there they give it a indigenous name to enslave people in i know i know well, I'll share a lot of these stories on the New Abolitionist radio page on Facebook so you can take a look at it. They're also involved in policing for profit with several instances where they've been busted doing it. As a matter of fact, Nebraska earned a C in policing for profit from the Institute for Justice. So they'll hunt you on the streets get with the ticket schemes and with the uh, asset seizure laws. As a matter of fact, they stole $1 million from one person alone and another one they got over $100,000 from. Where they simply take your money without charging you for anything and just basically make something up because they call that asset um, seizure forfeiture. Yeah, man. I wrote about it in an article uh, published on, on Black Talk Radio Network. Well, it's proven that this is going Capitalism, on. Capitalism, man. It's all about that Nebraska. profit. And Nebraska is also the state that we reported on before who actually pays for empty beds. They pay private prisons because of their contracts for beds that have not been filled. So if their contract says 90% occupancy per year and they only have 80%, well, the taxpayer pays for 10% empty beds. Mm-mm-mm. There you have it, Scotty. Some people Nebraska- like getting robbed like that, man. You know, <laughs> I don't know. I can't... I, I, What's the logical reason that taxpayers 
uh, uh, allow themselves to be roped into such bad contracts. Even just if we just throw out the slavery and human trafficking aspect, it's a bad contract. You're paying for empty for them doing nothing. That's like paying somebody for doing nothing, you know. And and so even if even if you want them so-called fiscal conservatives or liberals or whatever, you know what I'm saying? You should be outraged about that. You should be the people should be outraged and they should be dragging you out by your heels and tar and feathering you like they did in the old days. You know, because you're practicing slavery. So, um, you know, where's the outrage? They're going to keep practicing this until people do something and let them know, let the system know that we mean business. This is unacceptable. Um, I appreciate the research that you and Johanan, although he's not here, y'all plan on these programs, you know, uh, days prior. And y'all discuss what's going to hit the cutting room floor and what's going to make it onto the broadcast but each and every time y'all do this series that y'all came up with America is Ferguson we say ain't nowhere safe nowhere that we've talked about you know we went through all the constitutions they all except for maybe one or two and then it's questionable language there still legalized slavery just like the 13th amendment as punishment for crime the great lie of Lincoln the great lie of the greatest lie of Lincoln you know the slavery exception clause and so then the policing for profit capitalism all of that the human trafficking all of that every time y'all have reported on the state since we started you know doing a ferguson is america series it's the same pattern in practice we can indict the whole entire country man there needs to be a panel of attorneys that's bringing rico charges against these people you know what I'm saying? And recouping some of those ill-gotten profits. Maybe that's maybe we could bankrupt them. You know, you hear they talked about gun control and being able to sue the gun manufacturers. What about, you know, us applying RICO charges and suing for damages as through the civilian court and bankrupting these police departments, these city governments and all that? And, you know, what are we going to do with the money? Well, we can implement our programs. For the people, that's what we can do. But you know, Actually, I really appreciate the America is Ferguson, Nebraska is Ferguson. Home, we, uh, yeah. Just recently, Scotty got a big victory in that way with a, uh, a financial report coming out telling people don't buy the stocks anymore for CDA yep. and, and such. Man, that was pretty cool. Yep. You know, they're saying that these guys not only are they facing issues with the government, but they may end up in prison. Mm-hmm. That's our goal. That is our goal. Well, uh, I'm going to put some of these uh, Nebraska is Ferguson reports on the page so people can view them. If you can do me a favor and handle the uh, rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad this week, I'd appreciate it since Brother Johanan is not here. Yeah, we'll play. We'll see if we can play this clip that's on here about Glenn Ford. When I first said it, I was like, Glenn Ford ain't never been in prison that I know of. And it's not the writer for Black Agenda Report. No, it's a different one. <laughs> yeah, it's a different Glenn Ford, but that really caught my eye and um and you know, brought me to learn this tragic story. And CNN has did a report about Glenn Ford and we're gonna li- listen um to that. Crime he didn't commit. According to the Innocence Project in New Orleans, Ford spent 29 years, three months and five days of his life in solitary confinement on death row. An innocent man, years behind bars, spending every waking moment wondering if this would be the week 
he dies. Well, last year, Ford was exonerated. He had been the longest-serving death row inmate in the U.S. at the time of his release. And just yesterday, Glenn Ford died. He only tasted freedom for a few months after losing his entire adult life. The prosecutor who helped put Ford behind bars would come to regret his role in Ford's wrongful conviction. He has since apologized to Ford, both in an open letter and then during an emotional meeting in person. ABC News captured that encounter. Mr. Ford. Marty, how you doing? How are you? Doing all right. And I've thought about this for a long, long time. I want you to know that I am very sorry. And I wish it's a, it's a stain on me that will be with me until I go to my grave. And uh, I wasn't a very good person at all. So I, I apologize for that. Right, but then it still cost me 31 years of my life and death, nothing at the end but death. Because they gave me from six to eight months to live. There's nothing to say sufficient to, to give you those 30 years back. It happened. It happened. And I'm sorry I can't forgive you. I really am. I really am. I understand. Okay. I, I do, and I wish, you, I wish you well, and I wish you nothing but the best. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And may God bless you. You too. You take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. Okay? Uh, you too. Lynn Ford was 65 years young when he died of lung cancer. The prosecutor, the man who wrongfully convicted him, is now calling for the abolishment of the death penalty. I want to talk more about uh, Glenn Ford's story with his attorney, William Most. William, welcome. Thank you. I mean, I woke up, I read this first thing this morning, and was just, I felt such grief for him and his family and was horrified just by this entire story. But I have to wonder, in the few months he had tasting freedom as an adult, what did he do? What did he see? Glenn was an inspirational person. And even after so many injustices had been heaped upon him, he focused on the future. And with the 15 months of freedom he had, he was able to go to California and see his children and his many grandchildren, which brought him a lot of joy. And he was able to spend time with friends and, and loved ones in New Orleans and, and go out and enjoy the festivals and music and everything New Orleans has to offer. So there was a lot of sadness, but a lot of joy as well. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. So that's the um, Glenn Ford, the, the tragic story of Glenn Ford, and uh, I, I'm like him. I ain't accepting your apology because you ain't paid for your crime, and this was a crime. It was a crime. It was and a I, crime. A wrong participating in a wrongful conviction. You have committed a crime. What did you do? Who did you do it with? He participated. So there are others out there that participated in this conspiracy to wrongfully convict an innocent man, put him on death row, where he also was exposed to. He was. He got cancer under their so-called care and control, and did, and now he's dead. Y'all killed him. That's manslaughter. You know, we want to pull up the penal laws or what, what not. You can call it involuntary manslaughter or manslaughter, whatever. 
You know, you put the, well, you meant to put him to death. That was a conspiracy. You, you charged and argued for the death penalty of a wrongfully convicted. This is a crime. This prosecutor should not be free right now. See, there is no justice. There is no justice when I don't care. You know, when criminals are, are able to, it, it give a public confession heard on national television and in the Justice Department, the FBI, no law enforcement agency is arresting this man and then investigating it and bringing other criminals to justice. This is the thing about, again, why we start looking at RICO charges with the Ferguson is America report. They in that report said crimes, criminal laws were violated. But where are the prosecutions? And then you wonder why we in this current predicament and they able to practice slavery and human trafficking openly. There's a, a couple things that I, I want to point out. One, the crime isn't over. It's still happening because it didn't only happen to him. They stole him from his family. So his family suffered for 31 years as well and are still suffering because they refused to even compensate him anything. I believe he was entitled to $11,000 a year for 31 years that he was in there. And, and I bet Mr. Sorry, you know, ain't do- donating any portion of his pension well, actually, towards them. He's not the evil, well, the, the, the really evil person in this story. He's repentant. He even reached out to uh, the... We'll uh, give him that, but he's still got to pay for his crimes. You he guys still got to go on trial. The, uh, uh, whatever the attorneys have, the group that has uh, overseas attorneys at large, and asked them to uh, to to do something because he had done this, that to punish him for this. So he's asked for punishment. It's the district attorney that's the problem. He's when asked I, for punishment. He asked for punishment, like literally asked to be punished before what he had done. So oh I got, yeah, I got, they don't want to pay out. They don't want to do it. They don't want to punish him. And the district attorney refuses to give the family now of Glenn Ford any kind of compensation that he's entitled to over a uh, technicality and sat there talking about how, you know, it was all legal. Is it wrong? Yes. Is it immoral? Maybe. Is it unethical? Possibly. But it's legal. And this is what we're worried about. These are the people that we're dealing with. We're dealing with the same vile, despicable, just, you know, the the worst scum of the earth that we talk about during Thomas Jefferson's time and George Washington's time. These these beasts are still among us. They are. They, and, and I, yeah, I mean, I mean to be harsh in my language because slavery is harsh on its victims. I mean to be harsh. If I turn you off, it, you know, then I turn you off because you were never meant to be a new abolitionist to begin with. Years, 31 years of knowing you're going to die. If this don't make you mad, if this don't make you angry, if this don't make you resolved in your commitment to doing whatever is necessary to prosecute these criminals, to end this evil, ongoing crime, then, you know, like Neely Fuller said, if you don't believe and practice just justice, you don't have any business breathing. Just his story alone, Scotty, is enough for the entire system to be revamped. Just his story. And he represents mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. one of thousands. Thousands. And how many victims uh, had died behind them bars and that they have murdered and put to death. It's many, many victims, man. Many victims. So, yeah, you know, 
it's all well and fine. We do want people to come forward and whatnot. But, you know, for people to have this information, yeah, you mentioned the district attorney. Well, well what's stopping the U.S. Justice Department, the federal government, from indicting this man on, on, on charges? Huh? There's nothing legally, we want to talk legal, what's legal. It's immoral not to charge this man and go after the others that participated in the conspiracy. Did this current DA have anything to do with it? Or, or is he, because he might be, you know, a, a very old himself. From what I understand, uh, or is he just a new generation of racist right. enslavers? He's the most recent one up there that refuses to put out See any there? kind of money, uh, having the nerve to say, you know, we can't just give the taxpayers money away. Damn it, the taxpayers' money was paying 18000 in Louisiana a year for 31 years for him to be there. Well, anyway, we're glad that he had those months that he had with his family and was able to get out, and that is why he has been profiled as um, a writer of the 21st Century Underground Railroad. Glenn Ford. Salute, brother. From New Abolitionist Radio to you, salute. May God hold you close. Well, that's our present rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad. He got out. 15 months of freedom. Um, we want to go on to our next segment, which is where we recognize our abolitionists of the past. And considering we did a global uh, perspective today of the resurgence of slavery and started out with what's happening in Jamaica, I uh, uh, a friend of ours sent me in a abolitionist who would really represent the story of today, and that would be Samuel Sharp. State abolitionist in profile is Samuel Sharp. Samuel Sharp was the main instigator of the 1831 slave rebellion, which began on the Kensington estate in St. James and which was largely instrumental in bringing about the abolition of slavery. Because of his intelligence and leadership qualities, Sam Sharp became a daddy or leader of the native Baptist in Montego Bay. Religious meetings were the only permissible form of organized activities for the slaves. Sam Sharp was able to communicate his concerns and encourage political thought concerning events in England which affected the slaves and Jamaica. Sam evolved a plan of passive resistance in 1831 by which the slaves would refuse to work on Christmas Day of 1831 and afterwards unless their grievances concerning better treatment and the consideration of freedom were accepted by the state owners and managers. Sam explained his plan to his chosen supporters after his religious meetings and made them kiss the Bible to show their loyalty. They in turn took the plan to other parishes under the until the idea has spread throughout St. James uh, Trelawney, Westmoreland, and even St. Elizabeth and Manchester. Word of the plan reached the ears of some of the planters. Troops were sent into St. James and warships were anchored in Montego Bay and Black River with their guns trained on the towns. On December 27, 1831, the Kensington Estate Great House was set on fire as a signal that the slave rebellion had begun. A series of other fires broke out in the area, and soon it was clear that the plan of nonviolent resistance, which Sam Sharp had originated, was impossible and impractical. 
armed rebellion and seizing of property spread mostly through the western parishes, but the uprising was put down by the first week in January. A terrible retribution followed. While 14 whites died during the rebellion, more than 500 slaves lost their lives, most of them as a result of the trials after. Samuel Sharp was hanged on May 23, 1832. In 1834, the abolition bill was passed by the British Parliament, and in 1838, slavery was abolished. Sharps had said, I would rather die upon yonder gallows than live in slavery. And we here at New Abolitionist Radio salute you, Brother Samuel Sharp. Salute, salute, salute. Man, we kind of got through um, early, so we still got a little time tonight, man, that the callers would like to call in and share their thoughts on what you heard tonight or any strategies to end slavery and human trafficking, because I certainly don't claim to have all the answers, and I'm willing to take suggestions. So if you got any, give us a call, 641-715-3660, 641-715-3660. The code is Five four nine zero three two pound. That's five four nine zero three two pound. Greetings to those already dialed in. Any point you want to comment, just hit star six one. Star six one. Now, what did he say about slate uh, Christmas that he mentioned? Well, his plan was to start on Christmas Day and to have mm-hmm. the enslaved Africans to refuse to work from that point on. Not just to get freedom, to get the consideration of freedom, just to talk about it and to relieve them of some of the uh, the wrongs that were being put upon them as enslaved people, the beatings, the rapes, and all of these things. So they weren't even really trying to get free at that point. They just wanted somebody to consider their humanity and to even talk about freedom. Cause nobody I, wonder, I wonder if Samuel Sharp was the first person to call for a boycott of Christmas because we just had Minister Farrakhan. Now, I, I do he, that was a, a, a constructive suggestion. He recommended that that people who believe in justice should boycott Christmas to send a message. Dick Gregory has called for the same thing for a number of years, and we've heard others say. But I wonder if Samuel Sharp was the first one to suggest to other uh, oppressed human beings that, we, you know what, let's have a boycott of Christmas. Let's have a boycott. Of well, Christmas, and, and he did that in 1831. So I wonder if he was the first. I could be, I might be wrong, but um, wow. You know, the thing that concerns me a lot is, uh, as a student of history and reading these stories over and over again, and how people tried in different ways to find freedom, to understand what happened with the retribution. Remember, they were sold out. Somebody ratted them out. A proxy racist tool. Uprising. It was Mm -hmm. a peaceful thing. They were peaceful demonstration. Hands up, don't shoot. Right. Black lives it's, matter. Added them out, and, and uh, because of that, they sent in troops, they sent in warships, aiming guns at these people who were innocent of any wrongdoing at all. They were mm-hmm. simply afraid that they were going to stop working, and that was enough to want to kill them all or be ready to kill them all. Mm-hmm. And they did do that. Five hundred people Vicious, lost their lives. Heinous, despicable. I, I mean, I'm running out of words here to describe these people and what's so sad is that we got the modern versions well, walking that's, around that's, right. that's what I was going to say we got the modern versions we got you see what happened in Ferguson when they called out all these people who were doing nothing more than crying out for their freedom from oppression 
They just want freedom. They want you to stop hunting them and killing them and abusing them. They and just ripping them off, taking their money, seizing their assets. So your reply is to send out the National Guard and shoot tear gas and to fire and shoot girls in the head and steal the bullets later and to murder people. This is the reply that we always get whenever we ask or demand or mention freedom. Not even to get freedom, but as in this example with Sam with Sharp, just to get you to talk about our freedom because you ain't talking about it. Mm-hmm. Nobody's talking about freedom. Yeah, we do have a caller, um, area code 504. Thanks for chiming in on New Abolitionist Radio. What um, are your thoughts tonight? Uh, good evening, brothers. This is Brother Johnny calling from New Orleans. Greetings to you, Brother Johnny. Peace and welcome. I just want to thank you, brothers. Yeah, I'm calling to show support down here and just thank you, brothers. But also, I want to chime in with what's happening down here in the New Orleans area. Y'all was mentioned earlier some of the things going on. We got a local prison here, our city jail, which is actually operating like a prison. And we got a sheriff down here, uh, a so-called black man who's our sheriff who wanted 4,500 beds in the prison. But because it's, the city's under a federal consent decree with the prison and the police department down here, uh, they've gotten it reduced to 1,500, but he's fighting it. Mm. So it seems like they're going to settle somewhere between 1,900 for this prison. But the problem with the, with the local city prison here, with all that's been going on in the prison, it actually is worse here at the city prison than it is at Angola State Prison. You understand what I'm saying? Yes. Up at the road, which is the state prison. So everything that's going on here, and what's happening is he's actually keeping many of the inmates that are supposed to go on to the state prison, where the state prison now has been under reforms to reform what was going on there, and they're keeping inmates here in the city prison and continue to mistreat them, and they're getting paid serious dollars for them, but they're not giving them the medical care and the attention that they need to be getting. And, and what's going on, too, with the prosecutors here, I don't know if y'all are familiar with one of these cases down here, uh, this kind of case, but what happened was prosecutors uh, were actually given what's called prosecutorial impunity, meaning that they had a case with a brother who had been on death row for 14 years. And essentially, they had evidence that would exonerate him uh, where his DNA, he was tight. The person who had committed the crime had had a different type blood, but the prosecutor refused, which is against the law, to turn the evidence over are, to... Are we talking about state. Harry Connick Jr.'s dad? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. yes the movie body. star. Yes. He played yes. in the movie Independence, the other pilot with Will Smith, his father. Correct, okay. correct, correct. His father was the DNA, and I mean the DA for the city for a while. And then, you know, it's hot. they got a new DA now, but for the longest, all kind of prosecutorial misconduct happened under his watch. You understand what I'm saying? So when you see his son, you know, acting all chummy, chummy with this one and that, would understand now that under his father, you understand what I'm saying? All kind of misconduct took place as far as just sending brothers and sisters to jail for anything. And, then, and as y'all know already, not only, you know what I'm saying, you know, you know, the state of Louisiana leaves the world, not just the country, leaves the world. The world, you know, yep. in the city of, You know, here in the city of New Orleans, you know, we lead the state, if you understand what I'm saying, for just the locking up... The capital brothers. of the prison capital. Yeah, Max, uh, do me a favor, check your Skype. Go ahead, brother. 
so so I mean it's it's that kind of issue. You understand what I'm saying, brothers? Most certainly we understand what you're saying because, you know, brother, you I don't know how long you've been tuned in to New Abolitionist Radio or this station, but, you know, we've been reporting it for a very long time. And just think of the magnitude of what y'all suffering down there in Louisiana, more than the, the nation of China. China got a billion people. You know what I'm saying? And y'all the world leader. Y'all number one in slavery, 21st century slavery and human trafficking. Man, how y'all dealing with it? And the brothers and sisters say what they're doing is they're keeping them caught up in that in them festivals, in that Mardi Gras, that carnival, that having fun. And now what they done did, they done brought these charter schools down here. So now they got this prison industrial complex getting started from this school of prison pipeline with these charter schools. So they training them now at an early age to get them ready for prison. What, the public school system ain't been doing a good enough job preparing them for prison? They bringing in charter schools or they hey, just hey, want to privatize everything? Now. Yeah, they that's it. That's it. It's privatize that whole privatization. Well, it's that whole privatization issue. We've actually reported on, I think that particular story you referred to about the uh, jail there in New Orleans um, on our Louisiana is Ferguson report. So if you type into your Facebook search bar, anyone is listening, Louisiana is Ferguson, you'll see our report on uh, Louisiana and just how bad it is. Uh, matter of fact, Louisiana is the birthplace of privatized prisons. That's where it all started right there, as well as being the fast version of privatized prisons. They are the cheapest. They'll incarcerate you for $20,000 a year in uh, Louisiana. And these parishes, which you're referring to, one of these parishes, all across Louisiana are like little kingdoms for these sheriffs who use them as sources of revenue. So that's why your man is looking for 4,500 beds versus 1,500. He doesn't want people free. He wants to enrich himself, his his buddies, and uh, you know his family and friends and get jobs and all these things for them. Just the color of his skin being black for me has never been an indication of whether or not he's on my side because I've seen a lot of black oppressors like uh, Christopher Epps out in Mississippi. But yeah, oh, yeah I appreciate you yeah, uh, letting us know about that. Thank you very much, man. And, and if you get a chance, check out our show, our program that we did with uh, Louisiana is Ferguson. Yeah, I'm going to check that out. And I just want to let y'all know again, I, you know, we down here appreciate everything you brothers doing. Thank you so much, man. Thank, Thank you. you. This is why okay. we do it because we're, we're hoping to make a difference in people's mind because that's really the, the stuff. Oh. Change begins in your mind. That's it, brother. All right, y'all take care. All right, peace to you, brother. All right, um, again... uh, Q&AQ is cleared. um, We still have several minutes left. Um, If anybody else wants to call in and give us a field report, because that's really what you're doing, you know, in military terms. You're calling in from the field, and you're giving us a report on what the conditions are on the ground, in the battlefield. All right, we got to keep reporting on this stuff that's why we do it we gathering intelligence and so what you do with that intelligence is up to you you know what i'm saying it's up to you and i support every every constructive way to get freedom and uh you know <laughs> pretty much about any means necessary so if you trying to raise up new 
generation of politicians that are abolitionists or whatnot. You're trying to work from within your party to change it and make push your abolitionists. You know, if you're talking about building coalitions of voters to support this or that candidate or to push this or that referendum or that, I support all of that. I support all of that. If, if you're talking about arming yourself and, and doing uh, professional, you know, highly trained uh, patrols of your community like the Black Panther Party was doing to at least slow down and make them slave, modern day slave catchers think twice before they snatch up somebody off the street or, you know, yeah, man, whatever, long as it's constructive and it's working towards an end of modern day slavery and human trafficking, I support it. So, you know. Scotty, what you just said, that is the reason why Omaha has the worst pr- police brutality caught on tape video. Uh, a young brother tried to stop these uh, 10 cops from assaulting a man over a traffic violation. And those cops chased this man into his house, literally, and beat him half to and death. And nobody helped. Because he was trying to help. And nobody else helped. I bet you was more people watching than there was, you know, than there, than, than there was helping. So obviously no one was helping, but I don't know how many people were watching. I did see one video out of New York where a community where this officer tried to get this teenage black girl, and this was a black cop, proxy race to a white supremacy, um, this girl saying she had pushed this call box or something, like he was going to arrest her over or give her a summons or whatever. And all of those people in that community, uh, it was mainly women, but it was some brothers there too. And they were like, no, get your hands off of her. You ain't putting her in the car. Leave her alone. They physically removed her. And, and you know, this black cop acted all frustrated and blustered or whatnot, but he jumped in his car and drove the hell off. Yeah, I remember that. Kudos to them, man. I believe it's coming to that point, y'all. We are witnessing, literally witnessing these crimes, and we know that it ain't going to be so-called adjudicated in a manner that produces justice. And so, I mean, we really just accepting it. And the way I heard about abusers is, you know, man, you either got to just leave a relationship and get out, or, you know, you're going to have to stand up to your abuser. Right. And that's what it is like. America has a problem with abuse with the uh, non-white people of America and always has. And and it's a damn shame that no one in this white supremacist community thinks that we're worthy of consideration. Like our lives are just disposable. Like, you know what? I make $100,000 a year. I got stopped three times this year and I paid my damn tickets. It's as simple as that. And if I have to pay my tickets, you should be able to pay your tickets too. But yeah, you're making $100,000 a year. Somebody in my community, for instance, is living on less than $11,000 a year. To them, an $800 ticket is that month's rent. It's gone. They'll lose the house. A chain reaction begins and their whole freaking family is destroyed because they're in a position that you put them in to begin with. You know, that reminds me of a Twitter conversation I had uh, um, when it was on a promoted tweet by Sprint PCS or something. 
and somebody retweeted it but commented on it about how great their service was and I said something about 21st century slavery and human trafficking and Sprint PCS being one of those companies that uses prison slave labor and this and that and so then this other guy going talking about man that's a great company my my sister used to work at Sprint PCS or wherever and, and she made however much money he said that she made while working there and I was like and it's probably a reason why you said that she used to work there because when I worked there they were talking about moving those jobs overseas I worked at a Sprint PCS call center in Charlotte and they were talking about moving those jobs overseas I mean we had a couple of people in management positions just straight out tell us and warn us they they training people overseas to take y'all jobs y'all and you know should have unionized I guess anyway um you know, now we know the thing is insourcing. And I think I also replied with a photo that one of our new abolitionist uh, members of the group posted one of women in orange jumpsuits. And what did he say? The new tech service, orange is the new tech service. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that mean, you know, that's, that's why, man. And I don't know how people can rationalize it with a paycheck, you know. Well, I want to give a shout out, speaking of my community. To Sister Paulette Cunningham, who is a educator here in, Colum- uh, in Eastover, South Carolina, I've worked with her on a number of times, number of occasions with art, and also going to the schools to visit the kids that she teaches there. And she is an abolitionist, and she's running for mayor of Eastover, South Carolina. So kudos to her. We get more abolitionists in the positions of political power where they can start making change. I think I'm going to have to have a sit down with Sister Paulette and see if we can talk about marijuana legalization in Eastover. <laughs> That might be a big plus for us. Yeah, and and I agree with legal uh cops say legalize. Um I think that's the website, cops dot com or L E A P dot C C Leap dot C C Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. They won't legalize all drugs. They they think that's a health problem and people should be treated if they develop addictions, but that you shouldn't be putting people in this twenty first century slavery and human trafficking over drugs. But You know, like I compromised, I interviewed some of them and I said, well, you know, I say start with what you can push. And we know the public polls uh, show a majority, I think for the first time in history, that that the majority of quote unquote Americans, citizens of USA Inc. say that they support legalization. And so you push that, you get behind that. And then we know that that is the number one a substance, a plant that grows naturally in the wild. That's the number one substance that they locking up people over, whether they smoking and using it or whether they making money, uh, you know, the underground economy, selling and trading, you know. And, and, and so, you know, legalization of cannabis is a big deal. And, and you know, it has its medicinal uh, values. And so, I, you know, I don't like that compromise, that reform where, oh, we just going to, like North Carolina talking about, oh, we'll legalize medicinal use and, and, and that whole, you know, thing. No, it, it should be, it should have never been outlawed to begin with. It only became outlawed in the 1930s. Well, Scotty, we're actually yeah, almost so. at 10 o'clock moment and we have missed our final comments. Anything you want to say? Those were my final comments. Right. <laughs> We've been giving final comments for the past 20 minutes. <laughs> All right. Well, um, my final comments is this, I guess, keeping it real simple. Remember this if you don't remember anything else. As you've seen over and over again in our broadcast, abolition is a reason for revolution. 
so we can finally know some peace. 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 All right, peace, Max, and listeners, Lotus Place uh, radio show should be coming on, waiting on Sister Rose to log in uh, to uh, control the conference, so y'all stay tuned. We'll kick some music. Uh, You've been listening to New Abolitionist Radio on Black Talk Radio Network. We continue our live streaming with the Lotus Place. And the program that she uh, has tonight is titled The Blueprint for Black Success, Black Nationalism. So that's the Lotus Place uh, scheduled to come on here in just a bit. So, you know, peace and blessings. We'll be uh, right back on the other side. Peace.